Welcome to the Association of Child Protection Professionals podcast, a weekly podcast where we, alongside guest hosts, share with you the latest in child and family news. Every week we invite safeguarding professionals with expertise in either research or practice to give us their perspective on the stories relating to children and families. There has never been a more important time to keep up with safeguarding But with the government regulation changing daily, we realise that not all frontline professionals have time to do so. That is why we've created these podcasts to give you what you need to stay informed. Today, we have a special episode for you. In these special episodes, we take a more focused look at a singular issue relating to child or family safeguarding that you need to know about. These are often specific and urgent, so we are taking the time with the professionals at the forefront of this issue. But first, let's hear a few words from the AOCPP's team. Hello, I'm Vicky Hill from the AOCPP team, and I'm here to tell you about our current free membership trial. We're offering a free membership trial until the 31st of August this year. We realise that the next few months will continue to put pressure on child protection professionals particularly those working on the front line. And that's why we're opening our resources to as many of you as possible. Those who sign up for membership will receive online access to our highly respected journal, Child Abuse Review. You get discounted entry to our future events, workshops and conferences, and access to our special virtual webinar this August on abusive head trauma. So much more on offer as well. So sign up for your free membership now and go to childprotectionprofessionals.org.uk to join. Thanks very much. Hello, I'm Wendy Thurigood, the Chair of the Association of Child Protection Professionals and your host for today. In today's episode, I'll be talking to Donna Odadar about safeguarding reviews and how to improve them. Donna is Head of SILP and has 16 years of public sector experience, including her most recent role as Head of Law for a leading metropolitan authority. Now a safeguarding advisor and trainer, Donna is involved in reviews in both child and adult safeguarding, as well as domestic homicide reviews. Motivated by her big mission to improve practice in reviews, Donna offers Silk School, her university accredited Silk review courses, continuing professional development for reviewers and free online network for leaders in review practice. Donna's vision is to share work with those who want to learn about how we lead ourselves and others within reviews, moving beyond the preoccupation with process of embracing what's needed in the next phase of learning and improvement work. Thank you so much for joining us, Donna. Would you like to say something personally about your journey and how you've come to this point? Wendy, thank you. Thanks for the introduction. I think there's quite a lot in there, actually, isn't there already? Basically, so my background is as a solicitor and I worked in child protection and adult protection when I was working as a lawyer. When I first started doing reviews as an independent, it felt like a lonely place. And I'm sure anybody who is working in that way, that might resonate. I don't know about that for you, Wendy, as well. You may want to come in on that. Yeah, no, it is. I feel this world when you actually reach there, you can be quite a lone voice within your organisation. And especially with certain topics, you know, some people just want to push them aside. So you're battling to try and get something implemented that's key against a much bigger agenda. It can feel very lonely and it can feel quite isolating. Yeah. And when I was starting to do reviews, it felt like it would be great to have a mentor. And it felt like at the time it was a professional role to be an independent reviewer. 
yet it didn't have professionalism around it. There wasn't a structure for learning and for continuing professional development. So all of that, all of those early years when I was finding my feet, kind of motivated me to be able to put that framework around reviewing cases so that it was there for those to choose who wanted mentoring and training and continuing professional development. And that's definitely the voice of what the independent trainers say. Sometimes they just want to check out different subjects. So they'll either have to do a fishing exercise if they haven't got their mentor. Yeah, there's a lot of criticism often thrown at reviews as well, that they are resource intensive for a start and that their outputs can be repetitive in terms of adding proliferation and layers of recommendations that are unhelpful to really busy partnerships and boards. So part of my motivation as well was to find a methodology and a model of reviewing cases that enabled an action style, a dynamism to the whole process that didn't add to the burden of boards who wanted to get to some learning and and something implementable. And that's something that moved away from being resource intensive. So embracing proportionality, which I know a lot of the guidance now requires. So yeah, that was my motivation to think about methodology and it's moved on a lot since then, Wendy, as you can imagine, because as you said in the introduction, it's about far more than following a template or a process and I'm sure that's what we'll come to discuss today. Yeah, so you had some key topics you wanted to discuss, but the first one was the criticism of reviews, which I know is part of a lot of people and perhaps some frontline staff as well that are actually picking the reviews up once they've been written and disseminated. Yeah, the experience of being involved in a review has to be at the forefront of any reviewer's mind. How do your participants feel if you are viewing your review as a process or a set of templates or you're following um, a pro forma? It's quite easy to become preoccupied with taking the steps rather than thinking about how it feels to be involved in perhaps a practitioner event or for anybody to really to have feedback on their own work. You know, you or I, Wendy, I'm sure it's very easy to come into it with some fear or defensiveness. That's part of the criticism, I think, of how it could feel from a practitioner's point of view. Perhaps we feel like that is our baby, isn't it? We've come to those solutions and it's when it actually gets to somewhere where it's being discussed and actually they're still thinking differently because they haven't changed their thinking. You can take it really personally, can't you? You can. And of course, we are working with poor outcome cases because that's what the criteria requires us to do. So that adds an extra layer, doesn't it? Am I here to be judged? Am I here to be held accountable? Or is this really a forum where I can have trust that it's for learning? Mm, That's correct. Yeah, rings very true. Yes. I guess, Wendy, because it's important to be topical, it's really important for us to think about how the system's changed. If we're going to think about the next phase of reviewing cases, Because, of course, the reviews that follow are going to be reviewing practice from a a very unusual set of circumstances due to all the system change. And whilst you might be out there in your own sector, understanding how it's impacted on you, reviewers going forward are going to have to understand how it's impacted on a system. Mm. This is not an exhaustive list, Wendy. You know, I'd love to hear the ones that kind of scream out at you at what reviews you're going to have to think about going forward 
you know, if your mental health appointments are reduced or your access to school has been different, all the frontline capacity has changed, hasn't it, and probably reduced in most cases. Referrals, there's been some concern about referrals being fewer. There's discussion that referrals have been made to Childline, haven't they, instead of where we'd hoped that they've been referred to. Assessments have been harder to conduct. And then there's been this controversial statutory relaxations, they call them, don't they? Mm. And different areas have applied them or not applied them in certain ways. I don't know what you've heard, Wendy, but I was... I, I, I think that's, that's the real confusion at the moment because the areas that are going to choose to ignore the rules because they think, well, we don't have to report that because we can say that we've already addressed that. But really, they've had several similar cases that actually never did address the root cause problem and it still goes on, which is why it's still happening. But it is that sort of hidden layer, I feel, because there was one case where people said, well, we've already addressed that in the past one and there was no evidence that actually the learning had been embedded and changed practice but because they felt they'd already done a past review, they weren't going to do another one. And equally, the partnerships are also different. I think that's confusion that's sort of spreading through. They can't look for like for like. Some of the people within the area that are trying to lead these reviews, they're getting conflicting advice. Even though the advice from the national panel is quite clear, I still don't think people really realise what's expected of them within the reviews. Some either just revert back to the historic way of doing things, or they're doing a very rapid review without actually implementing the learning. They're just sort of saying, well, this is how we can evidence X, Y, and Z has happened with no follow-up and without really widely disseminating the learning, I feel, as well in some cases. Yeah. I mean, I guess thinking about the, the changes to practice itself, it's very much going to be about a reviewer coming into this situation of reviewing practice from 2020. Really, we need reviewers who had their eyes open to what extent can the reviewer have that sensitivity and maturity to think, well, I heard yesterday child in need visits in certain areas. They were now able to cross over the doorstep, but they had to become experts in PPE in order to be able to conduct that visit. And if a reviewer is going to come in and, and look at context and look at what it was like to practice in 2020, that's going to need a special kind of pair of eyes and a special understanding of context. Because all reviews at the moment seem to profess that they are a systems methodology. So if they're going to claim that they're a systems methodology, have they really understood and got to grips with the context? There's so much going on for adults at the moment who are part of that family home. All of this increased vulnerability, it needs the right kind of reviewer too. Mm -hmm. To really get underneath it, to the hidden core of it, because I fear that people will shield because of not being able to do something when there are avenues that they could have taken to actually perhaps interview or talk or access that family. I mean, people may actually present quite a superficial reason as to why they couldn't access that family. Because of the infection, people may just believe it without actually triangulating it with the GPs, because I feel families, certain families would use that as an excuse. Yeah. And then, of course, so much fear around on all sides as well. So that will have played a part, won't it? About course, yeah. what, what it was right to do and not right to do, particularly at the start. Everybody contracted around it, didn't they? About how, how do we interact in this new world? I, I feel, Wendy, as well, you know, it, it sounds obvious that you should have your eyes wide open about a system that we're all operating in. But I do hear a lot of judgment leaking through in the language of reviews a lot. So it might be in the written report. It might be if you're in an event and um, 
across an agency perhaps and I feel like all of that needs to be left behind when we're thinking about 2020 practice because it's something that people had to feel their way through. I agree. The question we ask on the course all the time is the way that you're interacting, if you're chairing, how is it making participants feel? What is your impact? What's your effect? And this is why I was kind of spurred on, particularly during lockdown, to open this online network because it feels like as an individual, you're able to lead yourself and lead others in a way that can really impact on a, on a review and your review practice altogether. And that's a, an element that people haven't had, isn't it? So have you had quite good uptake? Yes, we have. That's really encouraging to hear. Yeah. And, you know, kind of research tells us, and it was Bascan research in 2014 about families participating in reviews. That research talked about it having a cathartic element for families. Mm. And for me, you could ask yourself as a reviewer the question, can I also help it to have a cathartic element for those participating in it? You know, this is what was happening in 2020. Let's be realistic about it. We had to spend our time thinking about becoming experts in PPE to make a visit. This is different. Yeah. And the reviewer needs to be sensitive to that. Yes, no, definitely. It is going to be quite a different lens they have got to use, isn't it? Yeah. And they have to understand. I just pick up on the bit about cathartic for the people in the room. Yeah. I feel concerned that still sometimes these partnership reviews are used as a blame within the organisations. Yeah. And that's something that I've tried hard to change in relation to making that change and that understanding that actually this is to learn. Nobody is actually to blame. We all come to work to do a good job. And practice staff need that opportunity and that support. And I sometimes think that bit is missed out by the people that are commissioning the review. You know, they're still very much under that fear of threat. Yes, I agree. It might be an area for us to think through in the SIG, Wendy, going forward, or it might be a thing for us to consider... Uh, yeah, I don't want to say it's as easy as step by step because that's detracting from what I said at the start. But there are certain steps you can build into reviews to help remind yourself and others and lead yourself and others in a way that would reduce that notion of blame. Definitely, definitely. So having said it's not all about the model, there's not only one way to conduct a review. In terms of model... I think these times have forced us into thinking about things that we probably should have thought about before. I think for our reviews that have been going through during this time, we've been challenged to be a lot leaner on practitioner time. Because of that reduced capacity, that reduced frontline capacity, we've experimented with things that perhaps, you know, we wouldn't have been forced to do. The digital workshops have been working really well. And of course, currently we have to do it all virtually. But in the next phase, we can consider what we now want to do virtually. I, I don't know about you, but you I think coming back to me saying, why were we travelling from one end of the country to the other for a 45-minute meeting? Because this is going well. Yes, yeah. And certainly with technology where you can have the use of actually introducing them to rooms for discussion, get them to have a true discussion and then feedback, there's certainly ways that we can embrace changes and it will be more cost-effective. But sometimes there equally is the power on a face-to-face -face meeting in certain contexts. So there is, we've got to get that balance right that we don't shift over to technology to save resources such as time and money, because I still think there's a benefit of sometimes having those face-to-face -face discussions. 
I think people get more to the point online. I think that's been my experience, but maybe that's just of the particular cases that I've been working on, but we're going to have to have a mix. But I, I definitely think we could streamline certain processes. I'm fascinated by this and you know obviously I've been doing a bit of work on it because we need to think what we'll do going forward. The reading I've been doing is around you can miss facial expressions, you know how much is going on in body language etc and how technology is trying to keep up with it to improve what we can see through our virtual meetings. So we'll be teleporting into a room I guess at some stage Wendy. I know, I know slightly parallel to our conversation it was a conversation I was having earlier in the week on a presentation I was doing new mums are having all their postnatal depression scoring online and one mum that was presenting in this case actually said well I could just lie and tell you everything's okay and you you won't see because actually she was really down and she was starting to show symptoms of postnatal depression quite severely but she was able because she was educated to actually go yeah everything's fine everything's fine and you're missing out on those subtle cues. And my concern is that we have seen in lockdown, we've seen 12 domestic homicides in the first two weeks of lockdown. We've seen an increase in child death and some of that through unsafe sleeping. So you're just concerned that, you know, if you went totally online, you would be missing that contact. And I hope because health services in particular are talking about how they're going to change the way they're working. Yeah. So how can you actually answer that visit when, when you're only being portrayed a tiny part of it? So okay. I think it's going to be quite complex, isn't it? So it will be that opportunity perhaps to say, look, what went well during the pandemic? What can we leave behind? But what do we really need to keep? Mm, and that, exactly. that's an opportunity, isn't it? Yeah. So I'm going to move then, Wendy, away from model because there's more than one way of doing things. And on to the underlying principles in a review. And I'm excited to be here and have this opportunity to get my teeth into this with you because I'm quite passionate now as well about reviews prioritising learning from strong practice a lot more. So introducing looking at what was strong practice is just so useful as a way of overcoming that resistance, so overcoming the defensiveness. So when you're prioritising your strengths and talking about that at the start, it does open up the conversation a lot more for when you, you need to come on and talk about what can be improved as well. I think the fear for a lot of boards thinking about a strengths-based review, you're not leaving behind looking at what needs to change. If you don't look at the strong practice as well, there's a lot that goes under the radar. I'm really interested in strengths-based recommendations. You know, I really feel like this is an area that Silk wants to embrace a lot more. We've always talked about good practice. But good practice is such a narrow definition. It doesn't embrace enough. And it kind of makes people contract. If you're discussing it in a practitioner event, what's that good practice? Because where's the boundary of good practice? Or what was just strong practice that worked really well here? Yeah, and the frustration is when you feed it back to senior staff, yeah. they kind of go, oh, yeah, okay, that's okay, that's good, that's good. But they focus on the negative and yeah. you know, as much as you're trying to play that up as actually this is what you've got, this is just the area where you need to improve. It's that area for need to improve that suddenly becomes the big issue, which it does have to because it does have to actually implement a change. But they don't necessarily celebrate what they got right and the fact that X, Y, Z could have happened because it just was going to happen anyhow. We have to remember a lot of cases that we're reviewing are under the radar and some things happen that we wouldn't have been able to prevent but we do need to think of how you can look at that differently. 
Yeah. So, you know, you did make that referral. Are all your teams making that referral? How do we recreate the conditions for you to re make that referral again? Because that was really important. There's a lot that you can miss if you just purely focus on, well, you did make that referral, but it wasn't in the right format. And we tend to just focus on the problem. Mm. So, yeah, I feel that there's a lot of scope to learn a lot more from each case if we start thinking about that too. Yeah. I guess to kind of sum it up, really, I think there's an opportunity to unlearn a lot of stuff, unlearn everything that we thought we knew, everything that we thought we had the answer to before, think that we're only at the tip of the iceberg with what we can do now because the resources are shrinking and each review's got to maximise its potential, hasn't it? Every single one, every single set of circumstances we're provided with has to generate learning that's implementable for these partnerships and boards now. That's a really interesting way of putting it because you've hit the nail right on the head there in relation to we do have to be so much smarter, so much slicker in how we're going to deliver these reviews, but they've just got to be as effective. And to untrain some people, it's going to be quite hard, isn't it? It's hard because, for all of us. Yeah. And even when you're, you request the information and you may give them a template and it's really easy, we do not want a big chronology. The national panel is still receiving massive chronologies and yeah, how yeah. time consuming they are. And you say, no, analyze it, pull out the key points. What was abnormal about that? What did you see within that pattern? But people still feel comforted by having a massive data of what they've done, which is irrelevant and time consuming. Yes, agreed. We will get there, Wendy. So that is definitely an area to look at. I like the way you put it. We have to, you know, retrain, don't we? We have to retrain people the way they think to be smarter. And we use that term often. I mean, you and I have been around for serious case reviews. Well, my first serious case review was in 1984. Was it? Um, it came out as a book. I was a retrieving nurse. And I remember feeling on trial then. And all I did is retrieve this baby. So, you know, over the years, we've seen so many changes. But I feel some of the learning that's coming out of the panel, and I was really excited about being able to make slicker changes. But yeah, it's getting people to rethink because you need to all be on the same page. And I don't feel we are. No, no, I don't. Yeah. But I feel that there's, there's an opportunity for us to now take this forward, you know, perhaps with the association, perhaps in the SIG. That would be really good. We've got a couple of topics, haven't we? We haven't touched on domestic homicide reviews. Have you got anything? Because I find, well, A, they're under the Home Office, so they take so long to actually get any recommendations out. And if you have a domestic homicide that has children within that review, again, it can take an awful long time to actually get any learning. And they still seem to be following a pattern that we were using 10 years ago. Have you been able to have any headway in relation to domestic homicides? Yeah, well, because silk is allowed to be used in domestic homicide reviews, of course, we still have to follow the guidance, but we do produce a much more slimline report. And we're really glad to be able to work in that arena because obviously, historically, it has been more formulaic. It has been a little bit more tick boxy and it's still got more emphasis on perfecting the report, which can be really frustrating if you're moving from another type of review and it feels like we're moving backwards. Having said that, Wendy, there's so much about domestic homicide reviews that I feel children's reviews and safeguarding adult reviews can learn from okay. in terms of, you know, the approach to engaging families and significant others. They are so far more advanced in how much families are integral to the review. I've invited Frank Mullane to undertake a, a webinar with us on the 30th of June, 
to think about how you make the family integral to the review as opposed to kind of you're invited but on my terms yes i think that's very different things aren't they I think you're quite right there because in my involvement with domestic homicide reviews and equally if you add a lesson sort of the transitional period I've done some yeah. for drug and alcohol teams in relation to where those children sort of fall through the gaps it's been like you say far more in partnership to the point where I actually you know you go to the prisons you talk to the people that are involved and I know we do that with children but you're feeding back to them much more and as I say the learning you get to know them in a much deeper way because it, it is it's more on an equal platform isn't it yeah our role here is to be topical and I don't know about you but I really have felt that I need an opportunity to step up in my own practice around family engagement because the effect of these delays on reviews at the moment. I feel that I, I need to unlearn and learn again with this. I don't feel that I'm, I'm, I'm doing this in a way that's enough and correct. So I want to use this opportunity as well to think through what's happening because the trauma of around the delay when you're expecting X to have happened by X time mm. and there's no answers as to when that's going to happen adding on to the trauma you've already experienced this has to be thought through really carefully I, and I'm sure there's many people involved in reviews who might be listening who might feel disempowered about what how they've been able to interact with the family too it hasn't been what we would hope has it no no as some cases work much better and some families are then left with more questions rather than answers I feel at times because it's it's met the professional's point of view, but it hasn't met their side at all, leading to frustration and complaint, really, and yeah. not being able to influence a review. I can think of a couple of cases like that. I yeah. think that gives us some really good discussion points to pick up and actually theme a sick event round it, Donna. I mean, I think having that debate on unlearning, I think that would be a really good one. And I'll have to re-listen to pull out other points, but we can definitely do some more work. Yeah, I think that sounds really good. Well, thank you, Donna. This will go under the SIG section we're collating. So we'll have your links there as well in relation to the activity, the free workshops. Do you want to just say something about your free workshops before we finish? So the free webinar is the one about families being integral in, in reviews with a focus on delay. That's the 30th of June at one o'clock. That's with Frank Mullane. The free group is open to all. Uh, you know, I would welcome association members in there. I think if you want to think about how you're going to lead yourself and others in reviews, that's a great place. And it's a good way of dipping your toe in if you might be interested in the SILK course, because you can see what it's like to learn before you go for it. The SILK course itself starts in September. So there'll be links there. I think Wendy as well. Yeah. yeah. Today was supposed to be our conference June the 18th and that will now go ahead on the 25th of March and that's going to include Steph Brivio from the National Panel too. Oh that would be good. Uh, obviously the association is in partnership with us over the conference so there'll be lots of ways of hearing how that's progressing towards March. Excellent Donna, thank you very much for your time. I think you've given us lots of food for thought. Thank you. Lovely. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the AOCPP's podcast. If there are any specific topics you want to discuss in future episodes, please email us at hello at aocpp.org.uk. And if you would like more information about the Association of Child Protection Professionals, including the free membership trial that we are running for the next few months, then visit our website, childprotectionprofessionals.org.uk. Thank you.